Welcome back to In Short, and today we have a bonus episode. By now, you'll probably already know that I'm an avid audiobook fan. I love the way that audiobooks blend the worlds of literature and performance, and I don't think they're talked about enough in their own right. So today, I'm really excited to be talking to the author Sam Taylor about her audiobook of her debut novel, We Are the Fire. Sam grew up in Arizona's desert and now lives among Connecticut's trees. She writes fantasy novels for teenagers and magic is always at the heart of her stories. What world isn't better with a bit of magic? For her writing, Sam has won the Tassie Walden Award for New Voices in Children's Literature and twice received the Young Adult Romance Writers of America Rosemary Award. She's worked as a proofreader, copywriter and instructor of university writing courses before deciding to write her own books. When she's not writing, Sam spends her time being mum to the world's cutest boys, whirling through dance workouts and baking too many cakes. She does not possess fire magic, but does have one fire-coloured cat who makes a vocal appearance during parts of our chat today. Hi Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, I'm excited to talk about my book. Yeah, I'm so excited um, for We Are The Fire. It came out recently, your debut, which is really exciting. We're going to talk a lot about the audiobook of it as well. Um, And so what I want to do before we get into the whole chat about your specific audiobook, I'd love to know about your own audiobook experiences as a listener um, and then also uh, as an author. So what's your experience with the audiobooks? I've been listening to them pretty actively for a little over three and a half years. Uh, started when I was pregnant with my first child and I was just too tired at night to do anything, even read a book, but I could lay on the couch and listen to someone read a book to me. And then ever since I became a mother, audiobooks have been a really important way for me to try to keep up with my reading, try to get through some of my TBR, because there's not been a lot of time to sit and read a book. Yeah. But I can listen to an audiobook like while I'm doing dishes or while I'm cleaning the house or making dinner or when I'm going on walks with the kids. I have them in the stroller and I'm, that's my audiobook time. Just going through as many of them as I can. My library started getting a lot better audiobook selection during the pandemic. So oh, great. Silver linings there. So I've just um, really been enjoying the way the narrators can bring a story to life on a whole new level. Um, so it's I'm big, big audiobook fan, and that was why it meant a lot to me that my book was able to get an audiobook adaptation. I was really hoping for it because it just meant a lot to me personally since I've been dipping into them so much the past three and a half years. And so few authors actually uh, get an audiobook, um, yes. which it's, it's so exciting when you actually get a full-on uh, audiobook production. And Dreamscape Media, uh, LLC, who are the company that did yours, uh, they're there, great. And they got Ava Kaminsky uh, to narrate it. And she is just um, a powerhouse when it comes to audiobooks, as well as um, fantasy audiobooks as well, which is perfect, perfect for We mm-hmm. Are The Fire. Um, and it was produced by uh, Pete Cross as well. I don't know much about his work, but I always want to get the producer's name in there just so, uh, just so they don't get lost, because I think uh, people... St- don't often remember to think about the people who create it as well. Yes. So before you um, had your kid, um, had you had uh, experiences listening to audiobooks before or had you actively chosen not to listen? What was it like before then? It was, I I dabbled here and there. There was times I I listened 
Um, especially when I was driving, there was a time when my husband had an internship in Cleveland and we were living in Indiana at the time near Purdue University. And so I was like, listening to them as I would go visit him while he was off on his internship. I had to stay in Indiana for my day job at the time. I remember when we were moving from Indiana to Connecticut, I went to the library and I got a whole bunch of audiobooks. This was when I was going out to find a place for us to live and it was like a 15 hour drive one way and I would not have survived that without the audiobooks because I had to be going by myself my yeah. husband was trying to finish his PhD <laughs> and the audiobooks saved me I was listening to I'll Give You the Sun by um, by Jandy Nelson and mm-hmm. I just I remember I was just I was driving through Pennsylvania and I felt like I was going to be in Pennsylvania for the rest of my life because <laughs> it was the longest stretch of the trip but I was listening to I'll Give You the Sun and it was so so good and I got so swept up in the story that I got my first ever speeding ticket oh, no! <laughs> as I was driving down the highway because I was just like into the book I had no idea how fast I was going and I got my first ever oh, speeding wow. ticket and I was like wow yeah I was really into the book that book needs to come with a it needs to come with a warning please pay attention while driving i know yes oh what, what a story i mean that's a beautiful um audiobook as well yes. i can't remember who the narrator is um but i will put that in any show notes as well so you've had some really good experiences with them um no negative well not no negative experiences but no preconceived sort of negative ideas a lot of people in sort of literature mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say the theatre world as well, you have that double snobbery where you have uh, lit folks thinking, well, it's not real reading. And then you have sort of theatre folks thinking, well, it's not real performance. Um, oh. But it's nice to see that you have, uh, you came at it with a sort of, I love the narrators, which is great. I don't understand the whole it's not real reading argument because it's mm. the same words that are on the book. Like, yeah, you know, you're you're just you're hearing them, which a lot of stories are meant to be heard. One of my mm. favorite audiobooks is Sadie uh, by Courtney Summers. Wow, yeah, that's such a good one. Which is written to, I mean, I don't know that it was written to be an audiobook, but that is one that is meant to be heard. And mm. they, they do a full-on production with it, and they they bring to life the podcast that is in the book. It was it's phenomenal. I mean, that's one of the first ones when people ask me for audiobook recommendations. That's when I always mention because that book is meant to be heard. Yeah, it's a really excellent one. Um, the uh, publishing uh, company, which is Macmillan, they also yes. released the um podcast section of it as an actual podcast um yeah which is really really cool they're doing some really cool things with podcasts and sort of fiction over at Macmillan um but yeah have a listen to that because actually taking it out of like on its own and isolating Mm -hmm. it is really quite fascinating as well yeah it's a it's a great experience. So let's have a little talk about your audiobook. So quickly before we get into the chat, like give us a quick pitch for We Are the Fire. Sure. So we Are the Fire is a YA dark fantasy about two fire-wielding teen soldiers in love who are pitted against each other as they fight against the Empire who kidnapped them as children. It has fire magic and twisted alchemy and gray morals and lovers at odds. And it's perfect for fans of the Ember and the Ashes series or those who love the Legend of Spartacus. It's such a like 
solid pitch. I loved this pitch. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh, wow. And I love the idea of fire magic and alchemy. I always love like fantasies that have alchemy that feels like it's taking magic and science and kind of smushing it. I loved this audiobook. I thought it was just so brilliant in audio as well like I personally love listening to fantasy um over reading it because I think a lot of fantasy is long um and I just I I really like the experience of being completely Mm -hmm. immersed and so yeah I absolutely adored uh Eva Kaminsky's uh narration of this and what I noted um is that it was narrated by her and produced by Pete Cross um but there wasn't mention of a director there Mm -hmm. Um, and so that kind of means one of two things, either that Pete Cross also did the direction um, or it was actually like very solidly just by Eva herself, which um, is incredibly impressive. Um, and especially with a fantasy audiobook with all those different characters that you created. And yeah, so it's super, super exciting. So yes. tell me what inspired you to write this story? I was really angry and I wanted to watch something burn. Uh, the the day job that I had at the time was run by some pretty corrupt people and mm-hmm. they were they were mistreating the ones that we were supposed to be working for and and you know serving taking care of with our services and I hated what was going on. I wanted to make things right, but I didn't know how to. The right choices weren't always clear. I didn't know who I could trust to be on our side to fix things. There was one person in particular who could have made a difference and could have put a stop to what was happening, but they pretty much washed their hands of the whole thing and was like, I don't want anything to do with it. So it it was just this really frustrating situation. It was my first job out of grad school and I had so many hopes for, you know, I'm done with college. This is, I'm an adult now in real life. And I just, I had so many hopes and dreams for that job and it was nothing like what I was wanting for my first foray out into the world. So I would come home from work every night, just so angry. And I'd be venting out my emotions, my frustrations in my writing and storytelling. So I, I had the fire magic because I wanted to watch something burn. And <laughs> I wanted to, to write about these characters who were in a very difficult situation themselves and the right choices weren't clear and they had to keep fighting for them. And sometimes the right choices came with steep costs and and sometimes they made mistakes along mm. the way as they were trying to find those right choices. Yeah, I really love that about this story is that um, when I was making notes as I was going through, I was saying how, how much I liked how messy and complicated the characters were. Um, there was never an obvious choice Um and there was never a point where, like, I felt like screaming at the characters, like, ah, oh, you're making stupid choices because that's, like, a great plot driver or anything like that. It really yeah. felt like you got to know the characters um, and, and you got to know why they were making these horribly complicated uh decisions in this very dark, with a capital D, story. With this sort of excitement about audiobooks anyway, um, tell me about your experience with your own audiobook. What was your involvement? Um, what was what were your requirements or what were your wishes? Yeah, talk me through that. So I um, got an email from my editor, Emily Settle. Uh, it was at some point in the summer. I can't remember exactly when the pandemic blurred, but it was at some point in the summer. And she told me that my 
the rights for my audiobook had gone to auction and there was there was two public or two audiobook producers bidding for it and Dreamscape won the bid, which was really exciting to hear, like one that I was getting an audiobook because not everyone gets one. And then to hear that my book had gone to auction over the audiobook it just it made me feel really good. I was like, oh wow, like people are really excited for my book. Um, mm, yeah. So, and then I was, I was looking up Dreamscape and realized that I was actually have listened to a lot of their audiobooks. Mm. So that was, that was really exciting. And it felt like my book had found a good home for the, the audio version. And, um, Dreamscape pretty much took it from there. And, uh, I found out later that they had chosen Eva Kaminsky to, to narrate the audiobook, and I was really excited because I've heard some of her work. You know, I've, I've listened to Winter Song, which she she narrated, and then also The Arctic Fury, and I I knew instantly that she would handle my book very well because she has this this bit of a steel to her voice that fits so well with the tone of my story. So I just felt really lucky, um, especially since I hadn't have the opportunity to review narrator selections prior to that or like to hear any audition mm. tapes so I was I was a little bit worried about that part because yeah I've I have heard some audiobooks where I did not love the narrator and if I really not clicking with the narrator it I, I often can't finish the audiobook it's just it it pulls me out of the story too much so I was, I was very nervous it's very but, personal isn't it yeah exactly um I was very nervous but it it worked out beautifully and I've listened to the whole audiobook of her reading it and it, she just is just smashes it. I'd love to know what you thought about um Ava's narration of of the two main characters. That would be super interesting to me. Um Pran and um Oksana. Oksana. Yeah, Pran and Oksana. Um and I'd love to talk about sort of the chemistry she creates with them. Um, what were your kind of ideas for those voices? Um, and, and what was uh, Eva's sort of reaction to that? I loved the way she read Pran. Like, you know, she brought masculine aspects to his voice without overdoing it. There's there's sometimes I hear audiobook narrators and they're trying to do the different voices for the characters. And sometimes it just... Like, it gets overdone, or it just, it sounds off. And I notice it more when there's male narrators trying to do female voices, and they get, like, these high, squeaky voices, and I'm like, just stop. (laughs) But there was, like, a, you know, real human quality. You could, you could hear the longing in both of their voices. You could, you could hear the struggle. You could hear their humanity. And she just really brought the voices to life so well it was it was I mean I'm the author I've read this book I don't know how many times I should be sick of it by now but I'm not and I (laughs) it was just it was such a treat to hear her bring these characters to life and imbue their words with all the emotions that I was trying to put on the page and that I was hoping would come through to readers and through through her adaptation of the book it absolutely does i love the way you say adaptation as well because mm-hmm. um so many people think of an audiobook as like the byproduct um yeah. but she really did i mean there has to be some sense of adaptation in it because yeah. there wasn't a conversation between you you weren't directing her it was very much her no. uh, interpreting the page 
And I loved it because I could tell she really enjoyed the story. She was invested in the story. She cared about it. Like it wasn't, it it wasn't just something she was reading for a paycheck. Like you know, she just yeah. She she was there, present in the story, and you know, you could tell she was feeling what the characters felt. And I appreciated that so much. It was it's part of why I was excited to have her be narrating the audiobook and why I think it just turned out beautifully. Yeah, like, I think you can really feel her, like, relishing the words as she says them. Like, I think so often, I mean, especially when we've got, like, a third-person narrator, um, it, it can be very tempting to have a very sort of blank canvas kind of narration. Yes. Um, but she really feels it, and you kind of get a sense of spontaneity with her narration. Yes. One of the things I loved about this story is because it sets up um, the love story from the start. We meet them when they're already in mm-hmm. love. And so there isn't the sort of the will they, won't they. So we get that sort of maturity of their relationship. And and she narrates that with such sensitivity, such mm-hmm. like spontaneity and character with the way she narrates them. And I, I really yeah. love that. Yeah, I just, I could feel like you know, the reality of the situations. And it was, it was just not someone like reading words off the page it was it was someone building an experience with her narration definitely and i think one of the things that i noticed as i was listening to it was that sort of the pacing of the book is very masterful in the fact that it's kind of longer chapters at the beginning and then towards the end it's like five minute uh chapters three yes. minute chapters seven minute and you kind of really get this pacing um and like she gives such great voice to the urgency yes yes and when she would like read some of my favorite lines throughout the book like i would just be cheering listening to them be brought to life you know especially the one toward the end when Oksana, she's like it's fire night your majesty i'm here to give you a show and i was just like yeah in my kitchen doing the dishes and i was like yeah <laughs> i love that line and she did it so well so well like such um one uh, i had steely determination as mm-hmm. one of the descriptions for Xana. and the, like the journey that the character had was just so like exciting i think eva worked with that so nicely yes so one of the reasons why i love fantasy audiobooks um um is sort of the range of characters you get um and so we have a whole variety of imps and nightmares and uh tulico brettes and like all this great uh sort of fancy world building i'd love you to talk me through sort of one how this world came to you mm-hmm. when you were writing um and how you kind of combined it i'm not a huge uh, fantasy reader so i don't have a huge sort of breadth of knowledge to draw from so i'd love you to talk about like any law that you draw from mm-hmm. um, and then also how those kind of voices um kind of come into the audiobook that'd be great sure so uh, i started with the fire magic and you know just asking myself lots of questions about i i knew what the magic i wanted it to not be something the characters were born with, but something they had acquired. Mm. And I wanted them to not have chosen to have this magic. It was forced onto them. And I uh, decided to have the magic be, the, or the transformation be brought about through alchemy. So I, I spent a lot of time researching alchemy as it had existed in our world, because it's, you know, this is this sort of like pseudoscience or fantasy science almost like a little bit of magic that had happened in our own real world. And then I, I spun it so that the, um, 
the alchemists in in my story's world weren't creating gold out of metals or they weren't looking for the elixir of life or a philosopher's stone but they were taking ordinary people and turning them into these these beings who had power over fire and then you know i had to be asking myself well, what kind of a place would do this mm. you know especially what kind of a place would be taking children from other countries and transforming them and training them to become these fire wielding soldiers so I, from there i had to make up the the backstory for the country you know that they had once been this this nation just trying to live their lives and they're being invaded by another country for their natural resources and they just want to go back to having their Mm -hmm. lives and they're trying to do anything they can to get these invaders out of their own country but then they take it too far and they they get caught up in their own power and start doing the same thing that people had done to them and invading and taking people to build up their own army so that no one can ever again defeat them so i just you know i start with an idea of the fire magic and I just keep asking myself questions and and spinning it bigger and bigger to try to build what kind of a world would this fire magic be existing in and I made up a lot of the folklore for it like the the fire demons that the soldiers are named after these there's the lore of the ancient fire demons that were once said to have guarded that country before it was the nation Vesema and they had left behind the little Barakivi stones that were very combustible very incendiary and that's what is used in the alchemy to create these soldiers now um, so just lots of telling myself stories yeah. about this world until till I have like a foundation to build the actual story on. Yeah, I mean it's it's it feels so well realized when when you're listening to it um, and I'm sure when you're reading it. Yeah, the fire magic. It's just visually stunning. I I kind of found myself really um kind of being there living with it and also the the cover of the book is just stunning yeah i got that blue fire (laughs) i got super lucky with that cover i am still in awe how my editor managed to snag that particular artist to do the the cover of my book yeah i'd love you to talk about the the voices then because we like i said we had the imps we have the nightmares we have the two liquid brats talk about um sort of ava's uh narration of those characters that'd be great so uh, one of the first ones that comes into the story, there's there's Oksana's friend Anu, who is a folk singer, and mm. she loves the folk songs of her country, and her voice has this very lyrical, very sweet, very sing-songy quality to it mm. that, you know, just immediately puts the listener into mind. If this is someone who's musically inclined, and Anu's always slipping into the folk songs throughout mm. the book, and I loved how her voice instantly kind of embodies that type of character. And then one of my favorites was Yalku, Hmm. who I have, he's this boy, he's, you know, he's a boy of very few words. I was very careful while writing his dialogue to just like, he says what he says in no more words than necessary. And then he (laughs) stops and he just, you know, he has no patience for anyone else's nonsense. And she captured that in his voice. Like, yeah, it made me really happy as an author to know that that was coming through in my writing. As I was listening, in some of the very first lines that he speaks in the book that she's reading, I was like, I stopped and I was like, wow, like she doesn't waste any breath 
on his words and it was just <laughs> snappy and to the point and I was thrilled with that you know just speaks to her talent and the attention she pays to these stories as she's as she's performing them that you know she she recognizes small details like that this is a boy a few words and boy does she deliver on yeah, that definitely and I think as well like she doesn't She's very smart with the way that she delivers um, all character lines. Um, where early on, when one of the nightmares talks, it's this very sort of yes. deep, growly, raspy um, voice, but it's not like so over the top that it takes a listener out of themselves. Yeah. Um, and the imps, they all kind of have this natural, um, they're all naturally a bit higher, a little yeah. bit more. They're younger. Yeah, they're younger, and she's like, she. She creates, um, she kind of adds to the world that you've very solidly put on the page. She definitely does, because the imp Devic, who um, plays quite an important role in the story, mm. she reads him, and he sounds so young. And I was like, you know, it's like me as the author, and I know I wrote this character, <laughs> but like she's she's reading him, and I was like, it's hitting me how young this character is, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I put that character through so much, and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> you put all the characters through so much. Oh, I know, I know. I I warn people. I'm. This is a very dark book, and sometimes I feel that people don't take it take me very seriously when I say that Be I guess because I I'm not a very dark person mm -hmm. in real life but I keep warning people this is a dark book and then I always get people coming back surprised like oh that book was really dark and so I told you <laughs> I told you this is my angry book this was not a happy book though I made sure that it has hopeful ending you know the hope scattered throughout but yeah. yeah, it's a very dark book. It is a very dark book, and I think it, it, it carries this wonderful uh, question of sort of for young readers, for young listeners, um, sort of that question of identity yes. so strongly through the book. And I think they, they really learn about themselves, and they don't just learn about how to create themselves, but they also learn about how to... Um, how to be who they are with what yes. like with the things that they've been given or yes. forced upon and I think that is just so and like you hear the maturity grow in her voice throughout the book as well which yes. I just I loved so much I did yes yes I, I love Oksana's character arc and the way she learns to view her world with more complexity and herself with more complexity and how she she learns to be true to who she is despite everything she's going through but she learns that she can also become more than she had ever envisioned herself being like you know, the the things that scare her and the things that she's confronted with and she can't escape she isn't limited by them or, or shortchanged by them she's able to grow around them and to to embrace the very things that she was afraid of becoming but her own spin on it. Mm. I would love to talk um, about Rotare. Um, and uh, before we dive into the scene that you'd like, you, you said that you'd like to discuss, yes. I read in an interview uh, that you gave that Rotare was, um, he only made an appearance halfway through, halfway through the writing process. <laughs> so 
retiring. Um, for those who haven't read it yet, is a uh, is a alchemist. He's he's the one who helps these transformations with the fire magic. Um, but Sam, tell me, how how did he appear to you? What 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 was it about his character that you needed to have him in there, and how did it change the course of your book? I mean, now when I tell that to people, looking at the final product, it's like, how did I ever plan to tell the story without mm. him? Yeah, and I I don't know. He appeared about halfway through the rough draft of the story, and my my writing process always goes that I you know I always begin with outlining and doing a lot of world building off off the page, but then when I, I do my rough draft, I call it a reality check for the outline. And it's it's where I figure out what isn't working, where I need to do more planning, but it's also where new ideas come to me as I'm digging deeper into the world and the characters and the storyline. And he was one, I think it was as I was still kind of figuring out how these young soldiers got their firepowers in the first place. And, you know, I was deciding it was through alchemy. Then he just kind of appeared, the alchemist in the lab. He was, it was always like something I knew was there. There was an alchemist in a lab who was transforming these, but then he came onto the page as a character and I knew that Oksana needed to be confronting him as part of the story and that that threat of the alchemical transformation it wasn't just something that was stuck in their past it was something that that they were still you know confronting and facing every day as they were being trained in the fort as they were being put on missions and he sprang to life more and more as I worked through those very early drafts until he became who he is still my favorite villain of, of all my stories. He is, I think one of the most complex of all my villains because he, he is truly the protagonist of his own story. Like his motives really aren't, or his, his end goal is not that different from prompts. And Exana recognizes that at one point in the story, it's just that, he will do anything to anyone to get what he wants, and he does not feel bad about it. And so he's, um, yeah, he is just one of the most fascinating villains that I've written to me, and a lot of readers are really going for him as well. Yeah, he he introduces such a fascinating conflict. Um, not just for Oksana, but for every single person yes. in that fort. Like, he presents this conflict um, and it never disappears, no matter sort of where we are in the story, which is which is just so brilliant. Like, what a fabulous thing to be able to say about And, and he would love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he would, yes. Um, and so what I want to do, let's uh, dive into the scene that you wanted to talk about uh, where Rotare is uh, very uh, prominent. So introduce the scene for uh, for us and let me know why this is a scene that you particularly wanted to talk about. Sure. So this is a scene from chapter two of the book and it's Oksana um, and Pran have returned from a mission that their commanding officers put them on in the city and Pran struggles with chronic pain as a result of the transformation. It's left his, his leg with frequent bouts of pain. It's difficult for him to move around and walk. So he was struggling with his pain on the mission. They've just returned to the fort. Oksana's trying to get him the medicine that he needs to reduce his pain. 
and they they go into the hospital wing. There's no doctors around. Oksana knows how to create his medicine because she is very skilled in chemistry. So she's breaking into the medicine cabinets to get what she needs to make Prawn's dose. And the alchemist catches her in the act. And he is kind of delighted <laughs> to find her misbehaving. And he's also intrigued because he can see she knows what she's doing. These bottles aren't labeled, but she has identified the correct one. She's mixed up the correct dosage, and he is curious how she knows how to do this. And so why did you choose this one to talk about? I love it because readers get to see Oksana at work with her chemistry knowledge, which becomes really critical throughout the story. It's it's one of the defining ways that she's able to contribute to their, their fight for freedom. Um, and readers get to see this bolder side to Ixana. In the first chapter, she's a little more reserved when they they see the initial rebellion and she's like, this is dangerous, they Mm. shouldn't be doing it. But here readers get to see Ixana putting herself at risk, essentially, to help the one that she loves. And that uh, comes to represent how she is driven, how she's motivated throughout the story is you know, there becomes to be more and more she's willing to risk and willing to take on herself to protect the people that she most cares about. And I love it because I I, I love having Rotare's grand entrance yes. onto the stage. Um, <laughs> and I I loved how in early drafts of the story, my, my first readers, just from like that initial interaction he had with Ixana, readers instantly, they're like, he is creepy. I do not like him. He is going to be trouble. And just just seeing their very vivid reactions to him from a single scene, I was like, I, I just knew as a writer that I had something there and that I was uh, presenting this villainous character very well, but also in a way that, you know, is intriguing. Like, you see, this guy is sneaky. Like, mm. he's he has his own plots cooking. He's... He's not just there with the commanders and the emperor, but he, he has his own ideas at work. And I think Eva does this scene such justice. Yes. And the voice that she creates for Ritare is... I love it. Perfect. So good. Yeah. So good. I love it. Like It's very similar to the way I read him. Oh, yeah? And I've read that scene out loud. That's nice. So I was, I was so thrilled hearing that, that like, you know, I mean, she hasn't heard me reading it, mm. but, you know, and again, it again reassured me as an author that my vision for these characters and the hopes that I had been trying to write on the page were coming through when I could hear her reading him so closely to the way I do. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite moments is um, the line... Oksana smelled him before she saw him and choked. Yes. Rotten eggs, scorched metal. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Her narration there is truly disgusted by him. Yes. And you just get that tone of conflict. Yes. It's as though throughout the rest of the story, we get that smell conjured up and that disgust. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's it's genuinely one of my favorite sort of moments of the book that first like introduction of Rotari I think it's really fabulous thank you yeah I mean figured this guy who's in a lab he's working around alchemical chemicals 
that was a hard thing to say. Um, <laughs> like, he's going to smell. And you're going to smell him before you see him. And it's just like this wafting presence that just, like, washes over the characters every time he enters the room. And, you know, like, mm. the, the visceral reactions that you can have to a smell. I wanted yeah. to to have that be presented in the story so that, you know, readers and Ixana can just cringe instantly as he enters the room and his smell comes along with him and you do with his voice it's so like slow and considered and it has this cruel patronizing tone yeah like i think that really helps to reflect that because we kind of hear that thing that kind of makes our hairs stand on end on our arms you know that sort of thing that you think would kind of accompany a smell like that so yeah Yeah. it's really just really beautifully realized yeah um, I'm I'm interested to know. Um, is there anything that you got from your listening of the story that kind of presented it anew to you? Is there anything that you kind of came across that you thought, "Ha! Huh, I didn't think of it like that, but I love it," or "I didn't think of it like that. How did they get this?" Is there anything that you kind of is new to you now that you hear it again? Uh, I think it really was the the hearing Devik's voice and and hearing him so young and it just hit me as the author like how vulnerable and young especially like the imps and the novices are and this this young character who Prawn recognizes like he's alone he's he's outcast in the fort he's outcast from the other imps you know who should be his friends or they should have each other's backs and for whatever reason like he's he's isolated from them and you just hear that in his voice and he just sounds so little and like as you know i'm walking around the neighborhood with my my boys in the stroller listening to this and i just like had to stop and i was it just like washed over me what i was doing with his arc and I just, I felt this tremendous guilt as I was hearing his, his young voice. And I was like, Eva, you're killing me. Like, oh my goodness. It just, in a way, like, you know, I I know what I've done with the story. And I know what yeah. I've done with the arc. And like, you know, there's, there's scenes with him that were very hard to write and edit. But it just hit me in a way it never had before in like a very visceral way. And I was... I felt so guilty and so sad. And I was like, oh my goodness. What an amazing thing for for a narrator to be able to do is kind of present an audiobook to an author. I love that conversation that kind of happens between author, narrator, performance, and sort of, it's just such an interesting reaction to have that like... Yeah. And it surprised me because I hadn't expected that. Like, I was really eager to hear the audiobook mm. and I was eager to hear this professional narrator bring it to life. Um, but I hadn't expected there to be a moment where it just, like, I see the story in such a new light because I've spent years working on this. I don't know how many times I've edited <laughs> and revised and rewritten and then, you know, going through the line edits and copy edits and past pages. Like, I've... I've seen this story inside out, but so to have that moment where it just hits me anew and, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm seeing the character from an angle I never had before. I think that really speaks to the skill of her narration. I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you love your audiobook. 
I mean, I very rarely hear authors talking about their audiobooks, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's a lot for an author to sort of listen to it again because by that point, you know, like you said, you've experienced the story so many times, um, and some some authors never do listen to their uh, audiobooks. So I'm so glad that you came on the show to talk about it, yes. um, and it's it's such a special audiobook. I really really enjoyed it. Thank you. So, tell me, what are you what are you working on next, and Will it be an audiobook? Well, right now, my agent and I were uh, shopping around my Icelandic historical fantasy, another YA, uh, with editors really hoping that one can find a home. It's basically Inception in Iceland, 1904 Iceland, with Viking Age magic, and it has witches and steampunk elements, and there's a heist, and there's this um, little found family of different little witches and magicians with different kinds of Viking Age magic and then there's a little like steampunk gearhead brother who just is he doesn't have any magic but he like is silver tongued and can talk like anyone into doing like anything and um so I I love that book I really hope it can find a home. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Thank you thank you it's it's become as important to me as We Are the Fire so and my fought for We Are the Fire to have a champion, so we are fighting for this one as well. Um, I'm also starting to dip my toes into middle grade, um, some middle grade fantasy, because my YA all turns out very, very dark. Very dark, yeah. Um, like, no matter what I try, there was, I, there's another YA I'm working on. It's a retelling of some Greek mythology, and it's set in a creepy forest, and I was like, oh, you know, this is going to, you know, be a fun new project. It's not going to be so dark. But then as 2020 went along and the story, I could just see it getting darker, like, with, you know, no matter what I tried to do. And then there was a dead body in the woods. So I, was like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're going there. I guess so dark, is, dark is the way. I, I, I guess I can't escape it. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but I was like, I want to try writing some middle grade fantasy. Because um, that, it opens the doors for elements of, like, whimsy and lighthearted imagination that just don't fit so well in my YA. So I have one middle grade fantasy I'm working on with my agent right now. It's all about baking magic and shenanigans and it's so much fun to work on. That that book has been a bright spot to me in some very difficult times in my life. So I oh, I'm hoping that we can I'm hoping we can take that one on sub sometime this year, hopefully. And um, hoping it can find a home and it can also be a bright spot to others. And then I'm currently drafting right now a Norwegian-inspired middle grade fantasy inspired by some Norwegian folklore. And that one, it you know, was supposed to be like lighthearted middle grade, and it, it's <laughs> becoming an exploration of grief and loss, just because it's it's how I'm processing my 2020 feelings and and all we ended up going through with Baby Oak last mm. year. But it's you know, there's also like all these creatures out of Norwegian folklore in the woods and there's magic in the woods, but there's also a lot of danger in the woods and the the group of twelve year olds are having to learn how to navigate that. And so it's it's fun. To work well no one can say you're not working hard. What's that like four to five <laughs> sort of whips in I just, I was writing so much last year because, like, I could not control the pandemic. Yeah. I could not control what was going on with Baby Oak and his little heart, but I could edit stories and I could write stories. So I 
wrote stories and my agent she's like I'm I'm amazed at how much you are writing especially with all you have going on and I was like this is the one thing that's keeping me together well I mean I'm so excited for all of them to be picked up and turned into audiobooks as well we'll have you on the show again we'll chat about them um but in the meantime where should listeners go if they want to find out more about you uh, my website is samtaylorwrites.com. I'm on Twitter at jsamtaylor and Instagram at jsamtaylorauthor. And I loved going on Instagram and seeing those blue hair shots. Oh, yeah. Very, very cool. Very, like, vibing for We Are The Fire. Thank you. It. Yeah, I got, <laughs> got the wig to hide my pandemic hair. Um, but it also just kind of became a vibe. So I was like, hey, I'll go yeah. with it. <laughs> it's, it's a blue theme with the book, with the feed. It's yes. very, very nice. Thank we like you. it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sam. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Sam for taking time to sit down and talk about the audiobook of We Are The Fire. And thank you as always to Teddy Merricks, my one-man production team for the music and logos. And thank you, of course, to you for listening. I loved my chat with Sam, so please do rate and review the podcast and share on social media so that I can keep doing it. If there is an audiobook you'd love to hear me discuss or you're an author with an audiobook coming out, get in touch. There are contact details on my website at englishgirlinnewyork.org and I also hang around on Instagram under at aliciasbooks.n.bobs, as in books and bobs. This was In Short, the podcast from Blanket Fort Productions. See you all next time.